baby. This is why Hunter S. Thompson decided to become the Sheriff of Aspen. I'm Charles Bronson. Bronson never reveals his sources. I'm also Charles Bronson. This is Messenger of Death on Stinker Madness. What's that smell? <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'm thirsty as fuck. Thirsty, thirsty, thirsty as fuck. Hey, look at me! Thrill me. If you come back in here, I'm gonna hit you with so many rides, you're gonna beg for a left. Thrill me. Beg for a left. Thrill me. Hello and welcome to Stinker Madness. I'm Sam, that's Tucker, and neither one of us are actually Charles Bronson. Believe it or not, been going over this place with a fine hey. tooth comb. My favorite shitty Bronson was on The Simpson. The Simpsons, the... Now I'm going to Emmett's Fix-It Shop to fix Emmett. <laughs> Why did you pick this one? Um, I was just looking through eligible titles on Amazon and I came to that and I was like, I like Bronson. I like Canon. It's on Prime. They haven't done it yet. I remember it being about a Mormon sect and it's got Bronson in it. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> I hadn't actually, I had done a large run of Bronson and yeah. this one I fell asleep and I didn't finish it. And I was like, Oh, this one probably has some promise. And the other one that I didn't get to is Kinjite, so I've never seen Kinjite Forbidden mm, Subjects. Yes. But I did run. I believe most that of one opens canon. with him sodomizing someone, I think. Or is that a different one? I don't know. I get those two commit. I think there's two where he sodomizes someone with something. <laughs> I, think that, I think that might be one. The other is the evil that men do, if I'm remembering correctly. The Evil That Men Do was one of the ones that I was like, I was narrowing it down when I, and I'm going to give it some space before I finally do a Bronson. I've narrowed it down to Love and Bullets mm -hmm. and The Evil That Men Do because, and I have to go back and watch them again, unfortunately, to remember which one's which, but there's one where Bronson is basically just watching the movie happen around him. The entire time, and I found it to be the most amusing of the bunch because he <laughs> yeah. just can't do it anymore. Yeah. So they just do it all around him, and it's hilarious. Right. <laughs> I feel like most of the time he's just there for craft service. And free sweaters. His sweaters were mm. on point in this one. Good point. <laughs> they were very nice. Point. That's a whole collection that year. The Bronson Messenger of Death collection. It was big at Paris Fashion Week or whatever. <laughs> I had the one, the triangle, like the half and half angular sweater that he's wearing. His is gray and black, but mine was blue and black. And it didn't look as good on me when I was a kid. And I felt like I was like, oh, I got the sweetest sweater ever. And then it looked like shit on me and I felt bad. Yeah. You were no Bronson as a kid. <laughs> no. In fact, sweaters and me in the early 90s just didn't get along. They, I don't think I would sweaters. See these awesome. I don't think pullover sweaters get along with many people, to be honest. Yeah, 
But if you remember the late 80s and the early 90s, there was all those like triangle sweaters everywhere. And it was like, mm-hmm. well, wow, that one kid looks awesome in it. And then you put it on. And you're like, oh, I'm just a frumpy doofus. And it's not the sweater's <laughs> fault. Right. Oh, it turns out that guy's awesome and I suck. <laughs> yeah. Damn it. <laughs> I'm not Corey Haim. <laughs> Why can't I be Haim? As it uh, turns out, I'm pretty glad I wasn't. Yeah, that didn't turn out well. Um, I must say, I probably mention this every time Bronson's brought up, but I did have a dream one time that uh, my mom was dating Charles Bronson. And I was like at her house and Bronson was there and uh, I was flipping around. He was on the other end of the couch and I was like, oh, fuck, it's Bronson. And I get to something, I get to a Bronson movie on the TV. And I was like, oh, you, you probably don't want to watch that. And he was like, hey, it's fine, it's fine. And then we watched a little bit of it and he goes, <laughs> he kind of kind of laughs like he's remembering that scene, you know. And I was just sitting there staring at him the whole time. <laughs> And that's probably the greatest dream I've ever had in my life. <laughs> I woke up and I called our friend Shannon and I was like, dude, my mom's dating Bronson. My dream. I would imagine that he wouldn't mind watching. Like if he was in my house dating my mom and he'd be like, oh, you probably don't want to watch this. And he'd say, why wouldn't I? Yeah. This isn't the one. This isn't one of those where they kept my wife out of it too much. <laughs> Love and Bullets, I remember there being a shot where someone throws like a hatchet at somebody and then it, it, it flies into his back, but it's like from a completely different angle. Cuts together oh, yeah. really poorly. It's really good. A little moment like that makes me go, oh, that's a good movie. <laughs> Jill Ireland, the most interesting thing I can find out, dig up on this movie it has nothing to do with it. It was just sort of a, a very sweet thing that uh, how much he loved Jill Ireland is after she died of breast cancer, he had her ashes put into a cane that he needed to walk at that point so that she was always with him. And then he's buried with that cane. Oh, oh, Bronson Aww. was just a big softy. He was. I believe that. He seemed like a real sweetheart. This was the eighth of nine collaborations between jay lee thompson and bronson yeah uh saint ives is the first one and i beyond the i think evil that men do is one of them uh definitely love and bullets is one of them but those are fun to watch for the wrong reasons i Uh really feel like saint ives is the only one of their collaborations where you're like yeah this is actually pretty awesome yeah I saw that a long, long time ago, but I, I don't remember it very well. Yeah, he had. Uh, he really liked J. Lee Thompson, probably because J. Lee didn't cut his wife out of the movie. He apparently had a falling out with Walter Hill on hard times because he cut his wife out of the movie too much. Ooh. And Walter Walter Hill sort of looks back on it like, yeah, I, well, I mean, I was trying to make a good movie. <laughs> sure, whatever. Do what Bronson wants. Do what Bronson wants, even though that movie's pretty fucking awesome. Yeah. I actually feel like a lot of the whole surround the the allure that surrounds the Bronson, besides being just an action ticket, uh, is how awesome Hard Times is. It's mm. one of Walter. I I don't know if I like Hard Times better than I like Driver, but they're they're right up there with the Walter Hale stuff. All right. All right then. Uh, it made $3 million 
This and no one knows how much they dollars? spent on it. This movie made $3 million. Well, that's not too bad. I I mean, they probably spent five and two of it just went Maybe. right into Yoram and Menahem's pockets. But Who knows if they did? Maybe it was piggybacked on the back of another Bronson movie that they were making that year. And they're like, we have two weeks left. Shoot another movie. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> we had done... King Solomon's Minds and the Alan Quartermain movies back to back uh, mm. not very long ago. And Jay Lee Thompson actually left that double production because he was like, this is too much nonsense. I'm just going to go back. <laughs> and at that point for Canon, before he retires, he only does Chuck's movies. He did Firewalker and then every other. Oh. So with one Chuck and then Bronson for the rest of them. And then after Kinjite, he's done. Hmm. What happened to him after that? Do you know? I don't think he lived much longer than that. Okay. Probably all that Chuck Norris exposure killed him. Just the one time? Just being around him. (laughs) It's like, that guy's too healthy. I'm going to die now. "Ah." Uh. Don't get me started. The other thing that that is sort of interesting about this is that through the movie, I'm watching it and I'm like, man, they're really giving it to the fundamentalist Mormons pretty hard here. So I had to look up a little bit of what was going on there. And uh, yeah, looks like blood atonement was really a thing for quite a while. All right. Yeah. That's one of my questions for the end of the show. (laughs) Perhaps I'll answer it now. Uh, It was a, is this a fair portrayal of Mormonism? Not a modern one. Uh, they've maybe some, and the the fun, the fundamentalist Mormons are still doing the uh, polygamy in that, and mm-hmm. they're in you know strange pockets of southern Utah, northern Nevada, and places like that. But apparently, in Utah, up until 1994, they had a juror screening question whether or not you believed in blood atonement. So. That wow. happened for a while. Wow. All right. I was I was not sure. However, now they should mostly be known about just loving each other, being a little too clean and making macaroni art out of everything. <laughs> too much macaroni art. <laughs> I don't think there's a lot of LDS people listening to this and you know we grew up you know we can say this on the podcast that idaho is very heavily lds uh so we yeah. you know grew up around it and it's like no they're just like anybody else other than that well, i mean that's a lot of macaroni art yeah <laughs> it's a lot I've, I've met some strange ducks uh but you know i i was brought up in uh seventh day adventist so i know my cults too you know i get it there's all sorts of different ways people can fuck people up. <laughs> oh yeah, I grew up Catholic. I'm half I'm half right. Sicilian, so I uh you want to talk about dark history of a church. Whew. Whew. The Spanish Sicilian Inquisition never bad forgets. stuff. I learned that. No. It's the it's the Catholic guilt. Mm. Yeah. I have guilt. It's not Catholic. It then it's just really sort of like half strength guilt you think i think so my family's pretty bad (laughs) with that i don't know see this is the thing is that like i couldn't speak to like uh 
Seventh-day Adventism writ large, but uh, in our little pack, or our little uh, pocket of it, super, super judgy, judgmental, just uh, lots of, I mean, it's all guilt. I just yeah. assumed all religions were like that. That's what I They assumed. are. I I just feel like the Catholics have been doing it longer, and they're still a little right. bit better at it. They've got it down to a science. Yeah. Right, right. It's where you go to learn the guilt. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, I should mention the worst loss I ever experienced in a organized basketball game was in high school against the mm. Seventh-day Adventist Church Academy, who were, like, dunking it on us. Yeah, they were and like, we were sit like, down, motherfucker. Pretty much. Yeah. It We're going to go eat our veggie burgers. Shit like that. I've never been run out of a gym other than that that day right there. We got ran out of that gym. It crazy. was crazy. Was this, this was here in Idaho? It was Gem State Academy. Gem State. My dad went to Gem State. Yeah. Did he play ball? No, nah, I don't know. Okay. I don't think so. <laughs> I think he was mostly like sneaking out and getting in trouble from what I understand. Ooh. Yeah. Dangerous. Yeah, he didn't really believe in any of it. <laughs> right now, that's a super expensive school to go to. Anyway, let's hop into this movie. Oh, yeah. The first thing we see is the Angel of Vengeance. Uh, like a, sure. Like a, it's like a statue. It's like a wood carving of a angel with a sword. And they get some miles out of this thing. It's, it's the whole the credit entire sequence. credit sequence. The score is nuts. It's going wild. It's also, it's also the entire ending credit sequence. They go back. They, <laughs> right. They pull this shot back out. Yeah. Uh, before we get hard into the plot, they do a lot of scenery shooting and location shooting in Colorado in this movie. And I am going to accuse Canon because of where they were at financially and how they were going to jump ship to MGM yeah. that they were doing movies like this on location so that they could just get all sorts of B shots that they could bring with them to MGM for sale. Oh, probably. Look, we showed up with all this stock footage and MGM's like, great. And they're like, you have to buy it. And they're like, all right, I guess you guys are signing the checks to yourselves anyway. So go ahead. Sounds right. We, this this uh, I just want to touch on the that that core, um, music. The score is like it's really intense orchestral score, and then uh, it brings in like a Latin chorus. Um, I, I assumed it was Latin, but uh, I swear, especially in the end credits, like as soon as the chorus sound starts up, it sounds like it goes Tommy Chong. That's what it sounded like to me. Maybe it was it's the Tommy Chong chorus. Maybe Tommy Chong is moonlighting, doing scores and putting himself in. It could be. Under an assumed name. Yes. We'll speculate about all this stuff. <laughs> we are. After we finally look at this uh, wooden sculpture of an angel for about seven minutes. Feels like it. We then get. Taken, whisked away magically to the land of Colorado and are placed in front of the world's creepiest teeter-totter. Yeah, yeah. It's we're out in the out in the boonies kind of, and there's a there's a house and there's a bunch of kids playing on a playground. 
It's just a teeter-totter. Just a teeter-totter, and they're just running around in the area. Yeah. Two of them are trying to use it, but they're not doing a good job. No, they don't know how to do it. This is the problem with homeschooling. Ooh, taking shots. Shots fired. (laughs) Shots fired on homeschool. Uh, Pickup pulls up, and a couple of Mm. real creepy looks happen from these kids, and uh, the men eventually... And I mean, eventually, get out of the oh, pickup. It takes a while. Long shots of this shadowy figure in a hat sitting behind the wheel. There's a there's a shot that kind of tracks behind his head for a minute, and then it takes the reverse angle in front. But it's still in shadow. You can't really make out his features. And then eventually, the kids are like, "Well, this is fucking creepy," and they bolt out of there. And that's when they finally get out of the truck. They're carrying shotguns. It's kind of scary. Kinda. It's weird, though, when the kids leave, they're like, wow, that guy's creeping us out, and we're in Creepsville already. Yeah. Let's go inside. Inside, we're greeted by a bunch of women and some kids. They usher the kids upstairs, and then there's a uh, long sequence of a man walking slowly, slowly to the door, and a woman who is unable to load a shotgun for quite some time. Yeah, it takes a while. Yeah, she's not very adept at the old uh, loading the ammo. Now we can't sugarcoat what's about to happen here, because you're like, well, there's a bunch of kids here. There's a man with a gun in a house. One of the the pregnant lady holding a shotgun, and another lady who doesn't seem to be pregnant... uh, so he just blows them all away. He shoots the pregnant woman directly in the stomach because a second pregnant woman will appear and she get, she takes it and he's buckshot right to the stomach on all of these women. Uh, goes upstairs after he reloads his gun and dusts those kids. They at least have the common decency to not show the kids getting shot, but they uh, we get to see the pregnant women get shot right in the belly. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty hardcore. I was uh, I was a little taken aback when he opened fire in the kids' room. Must say, I thought, oh well, they'll just uh, you know these women are going to get killed because it's a Bronson movie. And uh, but this is not your typical Bronson movie, I guess. No, it is not. And you're really expecting him to just sort of open the door and lift the gun up. And no, they they show him unload that thing into the room, and you're like, okay, they're really skating on the edge on this one. Yeah. There's a good chance this this scene is why it doesn't get raked over the coals by the L. I read the review, the original reviews from New York Times and the LA Times and they both seem they both claimed that this was competent filmmaking and I will huh. probably disagree with that later. Okay. Uh but I guess perhaps the shock factor on this one sort of elevated critic reviews. Yeah, maybe. And the fact that it just it seems to take the subject matter a little more seriously than maybe other uh, Bronson attempts in those years. It's no Death Wish. Death 3, Wish, you know. <laughs> Death Wish Four doesn't seem to take a lot seriously. No. And Death Wish Three is a cartoon. There's another guy in a Canadian tuxedo waiting by the truck while this monster shoots women and children. And then he comes back. The odd thing I find is later we're going to find out this guy's the driver. 
But didn't yeah. it seem like to you that the guy in the hat was actually driving? Well, he says for the first one, he was the lookout. And then the second one, he was the driver. I think that's what he explains to him when he's trying to get Bronson to cut a deal to give him the name of the killer. He's like, I didn't kill anyone. And the first the first thing I was, a, I was a lookout. And then I was the driver. So the assassin, the main guy, is like, all right, come with me. I need a lookout. Yeah. And then after they do this, they're like, he's like, oh, by the way, do you know how to drive? And the guy's <laughs> yeah, like, next time, yeah. Why don't you drive? Next time, why don't you drive? You'll have more to do. I'm paying you a lot. <laughs> and you're just sort of standing around in a jean jacket. <laughs> yeah. And that guy... Uh, the, the lookout slash driver is um, the guy that plays the serial killer in the Canon Bronson classic 10 to Midnight. Oh, been a while since I saw that one. I'll be very honest. Mr. Majestic, I like because mm-hmm. it's goofy as hell and it's really just a guy trying to sell watermelons. Yeah. And the stunt driving in that is on point. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't seen 10 to midnight in a long time. I think I liked it. The you mechanic is my favorite. Really? I like the mechanic. All right. Yeah. It's been decades since I saw the mechanic. I'll have to, I'll have to get on that again. I just need to do a full Bronson rewatch, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how you, maybe you don't. I mean, it takes when <laughs> I did it. And I didn't even do the full Bronson rewatch. I just yeah. did the Canon Bronson rewatch. Mm-hmm. It took me like three weeks, and I fell asleep during most of them. Oh, man. I had, had, had Most of them took two or three swings. Yeah. Well, we're now introduced to old Chuck. Oh, I'm at the bar. He's at a bar Apparently in the city. Denver. In Denver. Yeah. Yeah. Denver, Colorado, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, his name is Garrett, but he goes by Gar. I'm going to burn this yeah. question right now. Is Gar an actual or acceptable shortening of the name Garrett? I think I'm going to say yes, because I love it. Hey, Gar. Just you love Gar. What's up, Gar? I mean, I hope Why all is that name Gar? Like that. Gar, because he's a pirate Gar. <laughs> Gar. Yeah, it shouldn't be Gare, but that's short for Gary. <laughs> it is. Gare. Maybe that's what you do. I, you're like, well, if they call me Gare, they're going to think I'm Gary, and then people are going right. to call me Gare Bear, and I hate that, so Gar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the subtitles spell it G-A-R-R. Yeah. This way I'm actually the... The king of a barren wasteland. You must seek out Gar. <laughs> he can help you on your quest. Find Gar. Exactly. We're then told that he's a newspaper man and he's friends he's with a, the police chief. He's a great Denver journalist. Like, he is revered. People know him. He's the Edward R. Murrow of Denver News. <laughs> yeah. It's blowing the lid off shit left and right. Well, as we're going to find out, he's going to do a hell of a lot more investigating than the fucking police. Yeah, that's for sure. They probably stay out of these blood feuds. The locals, do they? The local cops. 
Like, those assholes are shooting each other. Let's just stay out of it. I feel like it's probably one of those situations where these people feel like they can just get away with whatever because they always have. You know? <laughs> yeah. Let's go have an armed... Uh, let's, let's storm my brother's homestead with a bunch of people with shotguns. Okay. Yeah. Sounds reasonable. Uh, at their luncheon... The police chief receives a phone call on a phone that I didn't know existed in 1988, but apparently mm-hmm. they had giant cellular phones then. Yeah. And he has he has to go to the crime scene, so he takes the reporter with him. I was shocked at how like small the cell phone looked because it looked like more like a cordless phone at your house. Whereas I remember like I think Gordon Gecko has one in uh Wall Street, but it's like one of the big bricks, like the Zach Morris model, you know? Yeah, and this one seemed a little smaller, more compact. I was kind of shocked. I was like, "That thing's got nothing cost but fifteen thousand dollars." <laughs> nothing but the best for Denver's finest. Yeah, for sure. Tell me they're not overfunded. They get, <laughs> that guy's cell phone. Yeah. They they get to the crime scene, and a lot of the people that are in charge of crime scene investigation <clears throat> are like, "Okay, hold on, Chief. Don't take that guy in there." Also. You probably shouldn't go in there yet. No, they don't do that. They no. they sort of try to stop him. And the chief's like, that's okay. He can come with me. He's my friend. Yeah, he's like, he's a good one or something. Yeah, it's like. This guy's like, I'm not sure it's good to have the press in here. He's like, no, remember, it's Thursday, Pete. This is bring your friend to crime scene day. Yeah, and then he's like, come oh, on, yeah. Chuck. Let's go upstairs and check out these kids' bodies. And he's like, sorry about that. I just stepped in all that blood and put my finger in that dead lady. Did that contaminate anything? I'm tracking blood all through the crime scene. Eventually, Orville will show up. And he will go for the Academy Award right here. Yeah. Well, I mean, it calls for it. It calls for it. Do you want to give us a Not the Children? Not the Children! Not the Children! It's, he has a lot of ramp I'm gonna try. up to it. But. Yeah, I'm going to give it more of a... Because he's like trying for it, but he doesn't want to go too big. Mm-hmm. So he really just sort of falls on his fucking face every time he tries. Just, I'm going to do it. I'm going to try to get where he's at. Okay, okay. Not the children. <laughs> Not the children. 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 <laughs> You're like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, pick a lane, buddy. <laughs> this is a like stretcher like, after stretcher of wives are brought out. He keeps going, what are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> We're uh, loading these dead bodies into the car. Somebody should have stopped you about 12 feet ago. Sorry about that. Seriously. <laughs> it's pretty intense. I like lost seven wives and 4,500 ch- kids or something that day. Yeah. It's a lot to go through. As he's on the ground, praying and crying, Bronson kind of looks at him like, yeah, I might feel sort of bad for that guy, but... Yeah. What's for lunch? I didn't finish my lunch. <laughs> it's always... I always think he's ready to eat. He is ready to eat. He mentions food in like three or four movies, and to me, that's all Bronson's concerned with. It's food. Yeah. yeah. Sticking that 
Sticking my finger in that dead pregnant lady makes me want to pickle. Mm-hmm. Get some others. <laughs> <laughs> Forward cut to him at home with his lovely wife, who's like 30 years younger than him. Right. He's a real swanky reporter. And he's like, you weren't there. She says, we were all there. I guess his writing is too descriptive. Oh, yeah. She's like, you, you showed me. You brought us all there. He's decided that, you know, the wheels of criminal justice aren't really turning fast enough. So decides to work on the case himself. Travels to the town of New Zion, Colorado. Right. Is this out in the Benchlands? Or is that even further out when he goes to visit someone? I remember someone calling it the Benchlands. And someone That's, described it as the ass end of the county or something? Yeah. Yeah. I think this is... That's later. Oh, okay. this is He goes here in his Buick station wagon. Right. And he, he meets the... The prophet? He gets there, and, and we see that the filmmakers have decided... That Mormons are basically Amish people with cars. Yeah. Yeah, and their services seem to be more like, almost like snake handly type uh, services. And this one yeah, I was like, get- is this what part, do they do this kind of thing too? Are they kind of like this in these kind of sects? Or uh, is this just them mixing up all their bullshit? I think they're just mixing up all their bullshit. All right. I feel like these weird uh, fundamentalist towns, you never really know what you're going to get. Maybe they make their own clothes. Maybe they don't. I read a story one time about a guy that had one of his own, and he was just use. He had like a whole town of trailers that he built that were all his kids, and they were working for him as telemarketers. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Quite a racket. Come here, honey, we need Uh, some new employees. These Amish people are fairly violent, and they have their own police force, which is a cowboy and a guy that looks like he could have been in Grease 3 had they made it. (laughs) They tell him, uh, oh, he's in there. The guy he's looking for, which is Willis, uh, Orville's dad. Right. And they don't say, oh, he's in the middle of a sermon. Which at which point Charles Bronson would be like, oh, I'll wait then. But instead they're like, he's in there. And so he walks in and he's in the middle of a sermon. So he has to sit through Willis talking about the Antichrist could be your brother. And then he just, kill your brother. Kill your brother. Yeah. After his riveting sermon, we find out that he actually does want to kill his brother. He hates him real bad. His name's Zenus. Zenus. Zenist. Yeah. Zenist Beecham and Willis Beecham. The gunfighting Beechams. Their other brother, Weenus, doesn't really like to fight, huh? <laughs> oh, God. I, I, I feel like Bronson's pretty imposing. Like, like he, he comes in, I think he would have gone in no matter what. Because they, uh, oh, wait. Who's no, never mind. I'm jumping ahead. Go ahead. I'll, I'll get to that later. <laughs> well, he delivers the message that Orville's family has been massacred. 
Uh, Willis is beside himself. Uh, then he tells him, Orville said specifically not to go out and kill all those people until he gets back here. All right, I've done my job as a reporter. Um, what? <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, his occupation's real weird. Because it just seems like Bronson's occupation is just killing people, generally. Like, in yeah. any movie, it doesn't matter what he does. Like, eventually, what he's doing is he's a, he's a murderous cop, eventually. <laughs> no matter what uh-huh. his profession. So, yeah, it's real confusing here, because you're like, is he writing a story, or is he just going to uh, settle this. <laughs> In his defense, the police chief, who is his friend, who's running for mayor, is doing jack and shit about one of the most heinous crimes that I've seen on film. Yeah, for sure. But is it in his jurisdiction? I mean... I feel like you can call the state police on this one. Yeah, you'd think. They're going to do that like two weeks later. We'll get to that, but it's like, how's how's it coming on that case? Well, you know, Chuck, I haven't actually worked on it at all. (laughs) I hadn't thought about it. (laughs) You know I'm running for mayor, right? (laughs) So then, because the police are doing nothing about it, uh, Chuck has to go to the armpit of Colorado, as they describe it, and on a train. Yeah. He gets there where he's really given the runaround by the local sheriff. And we find out the whole town's Mormon from the lady that runs the newspaper who says she's not very Mormon anymore. And she only married one guy and they started a newspaper and she's out for the truth. And she's got a pretty bitch in blazer so she can give him a ride down to Zenist's house. Yeah. Yeah. She's not very Mormon, see, because she knows how to read other stuff. Boo. I think that's what the movie's telling us. They're wrong. How are you going to make that much macaroni art without a certain amount of education? (laughs) You're right. We're then introduced to John Ireland as Zenus, and it's only been about a month and a half, maybe two months since John Ireland showed up on the show, so it's nice to have him back. He's pretty badass. I like John Ireland a lot. It's too bad the tail end of his career really went into the fucking toilet. Not here, right? And he was usually in... You have to go back to the days of when Westerns were big. When Western was big, he was a big shot. Yeah. Well, this is where I would want to end up. Watching Bronson collect a paycheck. (laughs) Yeah. They paid me Uh, enough that I didn't have to put my wife in this one. (laughs) Uh, Zenus, because he's showed up with one of his cousins because they're inbred, has uh, invited them in for dinner where they're having biscuits dipped in jelly. Yeah. That they call Bronco sauce oh, yeah, or Bronco gravy. Bronco yeah. dip. They're, they're eating dunkers. I mean, I, I, I heard that Mormons did invent uh, fry sauce, right? Really? That's what I've heard. 
I was, I was like, huh. that's the Mormons one big contribution to our culture. No, I don't know. Fry sauce. I, 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 I'm not going to stand behind that. You're not? Like fry I'm sauce is, no, I'm not. I'm not going to get I'm, behind that one. I'm, you're, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find proof. <laughs> Isn't the McDonald's secret sauce the first fry sauce? That's not fry sauce. That's just like Thousand Island, basically. Isn't Thousand Island fry sauce? No. Fry sauce does oh. not have relish in it. Fry sauce okay. is just ketchup and mayonnaise, essentially. Okay, I see. I thought that fry sauce. Here we go. Thousand According Island to local was- history, fry sauce was created in the late 1940s by Don Carlos Edwards, founder of the Utah based fast food chain Arctic Circle. Originally called pink sauce. The recipe included ketchup, mayo, garlic, a mix of other spices. It doesn't talk about his Mormonism here, but I'm assuming that's that's why. Is that he's a Mormon. Huh. Utah-based. How about that? There you go. I shared one thing I know, kind of. Well, dinner goes sour. Bronson only gets a cup of uh, peach juice. Doesn't have any of his Bronco dunkers, which is too bad. Yeah. And they have to go... Back to, I guess, Aspen or wherever the hell it is they came from. And they're trying, and then all of a sudden we're briefly in the mo- Steven Spielberg movie Duel. Yeah. We get to be in Duel like twice in this movie. <laughs> yeah. The second time is more exciting, but this time, yeah. there's a common trait in the late Bronson films is him on screen being completely unaffected. By obvious mm-hmm. peril. Yeah, yeah. Which is just another reason why he resembles Teddy Ruxpin. <laughs> if you stuff some Led Zeppelin in him and watch some, well, it's a fucking party. <laughs> just like Teddy Ruxpin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they get run off the road by the water company. Yes. And, uh,. The Colorado Water, water company, company, I think, which will come into play later. So, he's yep, like Colorado Water Company. My, that was perilous. Also, I can help you publish your stories. See you later. Mm-hmm. He says, <laughs> "I like it's like immediately like they get run off the road by that truck, and it cuts to Bronson who just goes, that son of a bitch.' Oh, that's right." I yeah. even wrote that down. <laughs> he, he's unaffected by the peril until they're off of the road. Yeah. Well, I guess like just he like, just realized oh. what happened. <laughs> Must have just got his CDO. That's some bad driving. <laughs> but then when they run off the road, he's like, that's son of a bitch. <laughs> he just can't believe they took it that far. He gets back to Denver so that he can go to a, a swanky dinner party. Uh, oh, they're at the dinner, dinner party. Are awful. Yeah, they're Could at Homer's you imagine? house. Ugh. These people are. Oh man, they're like. Oh, this old lady's like. Well, I can't drink now because the reporters here. Why? Exactly. Yeah. What are you going to do? Gonna, spill the beans. Yeah, you don't want to hear what she talks like when she's soused. She's going to spill the beans on the symphony, because that's all she talks about in this goddamn movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> they're at dinner for all of 90 seconds before they're like, 
You know what's good conversation at dinner? Uh, yeah. Uh, that massacre. Yeah, because, well, you know, this is the, it's the only time the captain gets, whoever it is, gets briefed on it. <laughs> Can't be bothered when he's working, but it's dinner time. Tell us about those murdered children. They decide to skip dinner and have drinks after a conversation with some rich guy saying, well, I'll call the state police. Like, I mean, he's the police chief of Denver. He might be able to coordinate this a little bit better. Reluctantly, the police chief decides to do it two weeks later, get some other police involved in a case that's obviously spanning two or three counties. Yeah, yeah. They bring in the state police, but then they just drive back to Zion and uh, where <laughs> the church is starting its ambush plan. Right. <laughs> they walk into it. Willis is getting his getting his troops together. He's getting the troops together. Uh, Charles Bronson tries to talk him down. So he dies. He says, I guess the cholesterol it's no got him. No affair of yours. No affair of yours. But he has a heart attack. Or and, does he? Or does he? But this is where I'm like, now Bronson doesn't give a shit if he's welcome or not. Because they make it pretty clear that he's not welcome at the funeral. And he's like, I'm going to stick around for the funeral. <laughs> He does. He sticks around for the funeral. Sure enough, nobody shows up to it. Uh, so he shoots the casket with a shotgun. Mm-hmm, as you do, to prove a point. As, yeah. And then he opens it. And then no one there says, well, you could have just opened it without shooting it. And then he says, what's the fun in that? <laughs> yeah. I don't get to hold a gun in this movie otherwise. Is that the only time he holds a gun? I think so. I, wasn't I think really thinking so. Thinking about it towards the end, but I don't remember him holding a gun again. Another reason, maybe, why this gets so many positive reviews when it comes out is that, like, it's just not a Charles Bronson movie on yeah. the surface, but it totally is a Charles Bronson movie. It's yeah. him just walking around Bronsoning everywhere. There's no fucking difference whether he's shooting people or not. Right. Right. It's just not, um, it doesn't go the full Monty on being just another Death Wish clone, like all of his other movies. Even though they obviously put death in the title in order to uh, capitalize on that. Right. Also, it should be mentioned that this graveyard has like eight graves in it. (laughs) Not, and the fence is really small, like, (laughs) I guess they're all planning on living forever. It's an old family graveyard. Uh, Well, we talked about it, and why, when we all start dying, I guess we'll just make the fence bigger. Wait, (laughs) but then we'd be dead. Hold on. Ah, shit. Town hall meeting. (laughs) Don't let that former Mormon that runs the newspaper in here to give any of her advanced thought. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We'll figure it out. Oh, she's so, so 
high and mighty with her high school diploma. <laughs> Top rider. <laughs> so he drives down to the gas station and calls her just in fact. This is actually also uh, George C. Scott's wife. I don't know if you knew that or not. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. Lucky and she's like, lady. sure. I'll... Yeah. Well, anyway, I'm sure that was probably pretty awesome stuff, being married oh, yeah, to George yeah. C. Scott. I don't I, know. I'd marry George C. Scott. Why not? We get to see the Buick show its balls. That Buick can get up and go. Yeah. They need to make they need to make station wagons like that again. I would drive one of they, those. They probably don't need to make station wagons like that like that again, but yeah, those things could get they they could get down and move. Yeah, yeah. If they could make a, a one like that that was you know like an electric version that had a lot of get up and go still, I would drive something like that. I like those big boat cars that are just like gas guzzlers, so that they're just not practical anymore. But if they could find a eco friendly way to do them, that's the kind of car I would like. I'm sure that someone could build a large station wagon that was electric that hauled some serious ass. I'm sure Neil Young has one. <laughs> I don't so know if Neil Young team. even drives. I think he, he just flies around. Some, he developed some eco-friendly hot rod or something. I think he can just teleport through yeah, the power of sound. <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> He's everywhere all the time. Chuck doesn't give that shotgun back, but at the same time, we never see it again. I guess he just disposes of it. He's like, yeah, this isn't yeah. a gun kind of movie. <laughs> He's like, whoops, wrong movie. Don't worry, I'll throw it where I throw all my guns after all my other murders. <laughs> oh. It's just like a big just... mound of guns under the bridge. Just coming up out of the water. <laughs> the Bronson pile. The Hudson? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gotta find a new spot. They're not going to be able to get any boats through here. Oh, boy. Despite the fact that the ambush team has left the night before, he is able to beat them yeah. to Zenith's house. I didn't understand we that We find at all. out. It's because they drove six the whole way because they're driving six to the ambush by the orchards. They're going to move faster on foot the way that we see them driving. Yeah. He's going to warn Zenus that there's an impending gunfight, at which point Zenus says, all right, nobody under 12 in the gunfight. Yeah. Yeah. One, a 10 or 11 year old will run out in this gunfight. While bullets are flying everywhere, and he's cocked, locked, and ready to rock. He's about ready to start spraying bullets everywhere. And he was like, over 12, Jonathan. Over 12. <laughs> no gunfighting yet. Hey, hey, your birthday's in two weeks. God damn it. Get back in there. You can be in the next one. <laughs> I promised your mom you wouldn't die before you're 12. Which one's my mom? We all forgot. Assholes wouldn't pop out so fast we could keep track. Seriously. I'm bad with names. I can never have a family that big. Oh, no, that would be awful. 
you know, people like already you you mix up your kids' names or you you know how old people do like I'm starting to do or it's like yeah 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 hidden friends yeah you know you never come up with I, a name. I was actually able to get it like perfectly down the way that my grandmother when she was mad used mm-hmm. to yell at me, and she would go through everybody's name first. Uh-huh. So her three sons, my brother, and then me, and she would always go. Bruce, Matt, Ben, Tim, Sam. <laughs> Just cover cover everybody. Cover all the bases. But she always got you last. It was the craziest huh. thing. Weird. She's got to run through the others. <laughs> and she did it so much that I'm able to reproduce it that quickly because I've I've done it more. I've I've been working on it for a while. I was my whole childhood. I was able to like, oh, there it is again. Bruce, Matt, Ben, Tim, Sam. All right. <laughs> Awesome. I do notice that Willis has not trained his family in the art of aiming a gun, whereas Zenus has. Zenus's mm. people are aiming, and they are hitting a lot of other people. Yeah. Bronson finds a t-shirt somewhere, and he waves the white flag, and he's like, Willis, Willis, Zenus says... We're going to truce until we talk. We got to talk. And then he looks at Zenus and Zenus like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I agreed to that, I guess. Sure. And then Orville's like, we should hear him out. And Willis is like, why? Because uh, they're aiming and they're hitting all of us. And uh, we need a timeout. We just straight up need a timeout right now. Yeah. This gunfight is going south on us. We got to regroup. Yeah. Have we found out yet about the water? Yeah, I guess during the gunfight. Is that where it happens? I can't remember, but it turns out that their land is on a lake of, on top of a lake of artesian water. Artesian water. Yeah, and somehow the Colorado Water Company people got to them before Rainier, and I don't get it. Yeah. It's Rainier that's the Artesian Wells, or is that Olympia? Well, I don't know. One of the, maybe it's Olympia. One of the beer companies is a, made from Artesian water right on the can. It's great stuff. Man. Well, the Colorado Water Company wants that, wants that land, so it wants that water. For fracking. Is that what it's for? They, they're talking about the shale mining for oil. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. So, been so a problem like, for a while. They're exploiting this blood feud. This is their. Wait a second. This is, is their. Is this plan? Chinatown? It's China. It's, uh, it's. Fuck, I forgot the name of the place. It's the Benchlands, Jake. This is the Benchlands. Let's get out of here. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, of course, it's all the corrupt, big business powers that be trying to trying to steal the land from these peace-loving polygamists. <laughs> they're not peace-loving. No, they're not. You they're get to war- be in gunfights when you're. <laughs> you get to be in gunfights when you're twelve. That's right. That's right. You got to be ready to fight. 
Not until you're 12. Until you're 12, just Lord of the Flies with the other children until only the strongest are alive. Yeah. Then we'll see if you're really strong. See if you can kill your uncle. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'll show you right now. Here. Go out there, Steve. That's your Uncle Steve. Got an important lesson to teach you, Jonathan. Hold up your hat, Steve. And he shoots him, just like in Three Amigos. And he's like, look at that, Jonathan. Even when you're over 12, you're not bulletproof. That's right. The more you know. Uh, there's an assassin on the hill. It's the same man. We're finding out, because this is a lot of, like, serious who done it on this and they don't reveal information very often so had this thing moved along a little bit quicker you'd mm-hmm. really be like wow this is quite a good who done it i don't know now there's a man in black on the hill he's instigating the fight so a sniper shoots uh Zenus, at which point the gunfight reignites and they all kill each other yeah. with the exception of a uh, few orville ends up with a few Zenus. I, I don't really know if Zenus ever dies. It seems like he's still alive because he yeah. keeps moving around. I, I just don't know. Yeah, I lost all But both, ti- both sides take heavy casualties. Yeah, there's not going to be much of them left when all this is, all this is settled. Chuck runs down the sniper, kind of, realizes there's somebody else there. Him and George C. Scott's wife get back into that blazer, and now we get the car chase. Right, the killers make a call from their car and say, that guy's back and blah, blah, and they're like, where is he? We'll take care of it. Well, now they got dual two. Dual three? Because there is a third truck. Oh, shit. They're really up in the ante here. I mean, Dan Bronson's nonplussed, just like, yeah. (laughs) I don't know how they did this. If they did this live or what sort of rigging that they used, but they have that K5 Blazer, and I don't know if it's K5 or Post, but... That thing's hopping tires between yeah. the two trucks. This is dangerous stunt work that's happening right here. I was really worried about it because not worried about it. I was wondering about it because the uh, there's one shot in particular where the it's getting so shaken around that the figures inside are just being whipped back and forth. And I was like, I mean, there has to be stunt drivers in that thing, right? Yeah, the stunt driver or the stunt coordinator, I forgot his name. Good good job. Good reporting by me. Uh, he receives a cast credit or it says in the cast credit list towards the end, it says stunt coordinator where it shouldn't oh. because he did that driving himself. And that's some fucking driving. It looks crazy. Like it looks really, like someone's really getting hurt there at one point. Or it looks like. Like, I would have thought they were dummies if it hadn't seemed so impossible for that to be the case. There's a very high likelihood that this goes bad and they did it anyway. This is like they Uh did this stunt sequence on 10% chances and they made it through. This guy can really drive. Yeah. 
Well, this is what Bronson says he's going to get those killers and the ones who make the decisions. Bronson thinks he's going to fix a corrupt system here. Yeah, Billy Jack already went to Washington, bud. Exactly. But when the truck gets the, so their their blazer gets overturned, goes crashing, and then the truck runs into it, and that thing explodes. <laughs> Exploded. Uh, apparently, the late seventies, early eighties Chevys did have a a uh, gas tank <laughs> defect that would cause that in all of the films. Yeah, every movie you watch. I remember watching a news story on it when I was a kid, like, just like in the movies, these GM cars blow up. And then, of course, after they get slandered years, it's like the Pinto, like the exact circumstances that it took to get to the Pinto to explode or the 90s GM cars was like, okay, that's. I guess it could happen, but wow. Right. Wow. (laughs) He gets back to Denver, so he decides to have a luncheon with the who's who of Denver again. Mm -hmm. Now on these horrible parties. More of the horrible parties. They go to the same place. There's like only one. It's like Cal's Fish and Chips is the only place anybody eats, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. He brings them all to lunch And there's a long discussion And he finally quits beating around the bush And says well they tried to kill me And you people own the company that tried to kill me And then the guy owning the company Says well is that what This is about (laughs) Right And this is where He he, Is this the one that he He got the lunch under Uh False pretenses, like he, or not false, but they they didn't know why they were having lunch with him. Like someone else arranged it and came with him. What's that? What's Homer. that guy's title? Homer. Homer. He's Homer. He? He's some. He's a guy that puts. I think he's the campaign manager for right. the police chief, but he's also like super rich and he doesn't make sense. Later, because we're not really going to talk about it, it really alludes to the fact that. He's having an affair with Cirrus's wife, but that none of it really sort of comes together, say. I see. But yeah, it's not really false pretenses. He's like, I, I want right. to talk to him. But then and that then guy they, doesn't tell them why they want. he wants to talk to them. He's like, oh, he just wanted to talk to you. I don't yeah. know. I guess you were trying to murder him. <laughs> I didn't know. Look, the fish and chips are here. But there we, you know, we learn that, you know, the cop is beholden to powerful interests. Shocker. And then. Shocker. Bronson's all like, fuck that. Then a phone call comes in the middle of his accusations of attempted murder on his his person. And Mm -hmm. uh, it turns out it's the driver from all the other murders. And he's gotten some cold feet and wants to meet Bronson. Yeah, because, you know, he wants to, uh, he wants to cut a deal with the star yeah. journalists. And this deal, we'll just skip ahead to the deal. He wants 50 grand to sing. And uh, he's like, you can't publish the article until I'm already in Mexico. And Bronson's like, 
All right, I'll call my editor. Yeah. This is the point where the stool pigeon has decided that, well, I bet this phone call to the editor of over 50 grand is going to take a while because newspapers totally wouldn't pay 50 grand for this story. They would pay that. He's like seriously going to be gone three minutes. He decides, oh, I'll just go yeah. down this long corridor into a long, dark hallway in an abandoned bathroom. I, I'm sure to not be killed by the man I'm betraying. <laughs> right. <laughs> he's killed yeah. by the man he's betraying. It's so weird. Yeah, it's crazy. Did you notice how uh, put out Bronson is when he answers the phone? At yeah. the restaurant, they tell him to, he has a phone call and he goes and takes it and he picks up the phone and he goes... Hello. <laughs> he's always like, seems like there's another one. Like later he's on the phone. When we come into the scene, he's on the phone and he just sounds like he's okay. <laughs> hey, no, like, the best part about the phone and call in the restaurant is he's like, do you know how many of these I get a day? And the guys yeah. on the other end like, um, what? Telephone How calls? bad is Denver? <laughs> if you're getting like, I know the secret to the massacre phone yeah. calls three days a week. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's, I think he's, I think he's implying that he gets a lot of bunk calls, you know, a lot of yeah. crazy people. Listen up crazy. Call him at the care. restaurant where he's having lunch. Yeah. Uh-huh. Makes Wait, sense. You know who murdered all these people? I'll meet you. <laughs> Yeah, he's murdered, and then I need to get your take on this because there's the the guy I guess stabs him in both of the kidneys, and it takes forever for him to die painfully and snow slowly for being a snitch. And he comes out of the stall with a bloodless Bowie knife. I guess he went into the stall to clean it off. Bronson's right. still in there. Where are you at on this knife hand switching business? I I'm I'm not sure. <laughs> I mean, you see this in movies a lot, like the knife guy, like switches the knife back and forth between hands. Like, right. Like that... it's a threatening thing. Like it's, yeah, I never really understood that. I mean, I guess it could be a practical thing. Like as you're moving, being like, I want to, I want to go with the one that has the best, I got the best shot with, you know what I mean? But it doesn't no, seem to be that. It... it seems more peacocking. It's peacocking. It's nonsense. Yeah. You go with your dominant hand, and he's right. doing the knife switch thing, and he's looking at Bronson like, oh, look at me. I can I can use both hands with this knife. And Bronson's yeah. looking back like, if you could use that knife, I'd be dead already. Right. I'm going to beat you up with a trash can. <laughs> yeah. A Rubbermaid trash can. That's right. Uh, yeah, I forgot about the knife, the knife hand switching. I guess I just don't even acknowledge that shit anymore. It's just what you do when no. you have a knife, when you're about to have a knife fight. My my biggest things to look out for when I watch bad movies are, are poorly executed dives and knife switching. Mm. Dives? Like into water? Yeah. Oh, okay. Like the dive at the end of Solar Babies in the credit sequence is uneclipsed. It is by far the worst dive that has ever happened in film. Ah. I don't think I've seen Solar Babies. I'll have to watch it now. You've never seen Solar Babies? I don't think so. Oh. Is it great? No, it's actually almost torture, but it's a must watch. Oh, okay. Well, I'll get on it. 
For you, it's a must watch. I don't know about the viewers. Right. But, or the listeners, I mean. <laughs> the... Well, he knocks him out of the window with a Rubbermaid trash can. And <laughs> the there's a dumpster down there, of course, full of things that aren't sharp. And the killer is able to make off with his life. Yeah. Goes and visits Orville. Orville is being a dipshit still. Yeah. Now, it's Orville who has talked to the Lord, right? And the Lord told yeah. him, uh, it's not up to me to, to avenge myself, and it's not up to you either. Something like that. And I thought he said that the first time. All, fuck off. I mean, fuck that. You know, I thought he was going to go avenge him. Yeah, well, I thought Bronson was be like, but Orville, you took a crack team of your Mormon gunmen to avenge earlier in the movie. <laughs> right. Well, I guess... Yeah. Well, that's what happened. <laughs> yeah. So guess what? Dinner party. Another goddamn high society dinner party. This all apparently all of the other dinner parties leading up to this dinner party were just lube ups. Yeah. You just <laughs> gre Homer's just greasing people. Just getting those cheeks spread now he's like all right let's crap out some checks people yeah let's see some cash we've had three parties it's time to fork over fork <laughs> it out this is the guy uh the i want to be the mayor speech is really good because he's like yeah catching bad guys is dirty work i don't like it so i let charles bronson the reporter do that <laughs> instead <laughs> Yeah. Uh, when I'm mayor and I need to build a town, which is a more positive thing, I'll probably let reporter Charles Bronson do that instead also, like again. Yeah. This reporter from the Denver Chronicle or whatever is my the best cop I have on the force. <laughs> he seems like he's the only cop he has on the force. It's the true. state cop guys, there's at least two of them. They show up and they're like, I like it to go back way back into it. When he's like, I'm going to stick around for the funeral. The state cop goes, uh -huh. okay. And then leaves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're not concerned with this community at all. Like, whatever, yeah. bud. Okay, reporter. You know, you don't have to do this cop stuff. We don't. No one has to. Uh, at the party, there's more chatter about how the Denver Symphony isn't receiving enough money. So, you know, we got to worry about that. Right. It's a concern. Then the Homer's like, hey, I just came out. I found out some pertinent evidence on the case. And Charles Bronson's like, oh, so the only people working on this are you and me, Homer. All right. And, uh. Homer invites him into his private study. I really want to know what Homer does because he seems super rich. Yeah. You wouldn't really be a campaign manager if you're already this super rich. Yeah. That seems weird. In the study, there's now a study put on of murder. Dun, 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 dun. At this point, the assassin says, as he's knocking books over, and Bronson goes, what are you doing? Yeah. It's like, 
You're the big shot reporter. You know what I'm doing. I'm I'm making it look like a burglary. So that... You know what burglars do when they get caught? They shoot people. And Bronson's like... That's why you shoot the guy first before you start monologuing. And then he... <laughs> does he beat this man up? I'm going to burn a question right now. Does he beat this man up? I don't know. I honestly don't know what happens at the end. <laughs> with that guy. Like... I don't know if I was fading out at the end, but I'm like, have I didn't write anything down, and I'm like, I, I remember the books and him asking about that, but I don't recall what happened. I remember what happens to the Homer. <laughs> yeah, he kind what of happened tosses to the him killer around. Guy? He yeah. tosses him around the stu- the uh, study a little bit. Just oh. Like take that, take that, grabbing, you. Uh, grabbing his shoulders and throwing him up against the wall and stuff like that. My note that I wrote down is, the murderer has fallen upon hard times, I guess. Ha! 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 Because he's not really beating him up very hard. He does toss him down the stairs. That'll do some damage. Tosses him down the stairs a couple times. Uh, and then he's kicking him while he's down a lot. Just some real... Yeah. Real journalistic brutality happening here. Yeah, we don't hear a lot of outcry about that. Journalist brutality. There's not very much of it. (laughs) Only in this movie. Bronson's not usually a journalist. So he finally gets him downstairs and people are like, what's going on here? Why is that reporter beating up the waiter? He's like, sing, monkey, sing. Yeah. This is how he gets Eventually, his stories. Ho- uh, the assassin fingers Homer on the deal. And Homer's response is to shoot himself. <laughs> he does a little bit of an Academy Awards stretch here. Well, sure. Like, Why'd you do that? Why couldn't you just keep your mouth shut? Keep your mouth shut, see? (laughs) Then the lady that's worried about the symphony yells, this party sucks. That doesn't actually happen, but it should have. Nothing really happens after that. Like, he shoots himself, we see Bronson, and then it's black, right? Like, that's it. Yeah, he shoots himself, and Bronson kind of looks surprised by it, like, Oh, I guess it's Thursday already. Yeah. He's like, well, this story wraps itself up, doesn't it? It's already typed in his head, you know? And then the music, Tommy Chong! (laughs) Tommy Chong! (laughs) I wanted to be able to accuse this movie of being shitty Scooby-Doo, but because there's an absolute lack of Denouan, that it's just like, that guy shut himself. Movie's over. See you later. Yeah, we don't really know anything else. Like, all the other characters are just abandoned. We don't care about this Mormon community at all. We can never find out how crooked the couple that owns everything in Colorado is. We just, we don't find out anything. Yeah, because there, there is a question. is Because the, the, the guy that owns the water company gave it to his wife. Because he owns so many things. He's just like, yeah, my wife's company. And he gives it to her, but she doesn't seem to know the nefarious shit that's going on, and I don't know if he does either. 
Now, he kind of alludes to the fact that there's like a sort of a renege deal with him and, and Homer on the fracking or whatever, the shale mining. And there's some dialogue paid to the idea that Homer's sleeping with his wife. So I think Homer's plan is to get the land and uh, frame Cirrus for the murder, but there's just not enough time spent on it. So it's just like Bronson wandering around in a whodunit. And at the end, some guy's like, he did it. And Bronson's like, thanks. Movie's over. Okay. I'll see you mañana. And he grabs some stuff from craft services on his way out and stuffs it in his pockets. Yeah. yeah. I'll see you all next year in Death Wish 4. Ah, <laughs> oh, man. That is my biggest uh, problem with this movie. Is like, where were the, there was not enough uh, scenes of Bronson either eating food or talking about food. In fact, every time they go someplace to get food, he never gets any food. Yeah, it's really unrealistic. I don't know. I was going to say, when my old, I had a coach once that told me, Hungry Dog Runs Faster. Maybe that's why he's such a good reporter, is because he can never get lunch. Oh, perhaps. It's a character choice. Interesting. This is really not your typical Bronson. Hard-hitting stuff. Kind of. Yeah. Only with a trash can. Let's move on to questions. Do you have All questions? Right. Well, my question was about the Mormonism uh, and my uh, and I was just I was just questioning why there weren't more scenes about food. <laughs> Other so than we, that, we covered your stuff. You covered my questions. Okay, I've got two. Okay, good. First, has justice been served? Hmm. Interesting. Uh, probably not. I would imagine there's more people involved in this. Um, I think the company needs to be held accountable. There needs to be more oversight. This can't be, you know, this can't be happening. And also, you know, you got God's justice to worry about too. <laughs> was, yeah. I actually, you don't. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'd add that. For justice to be served, even if this is a serving of justice, the police should probably get involved at some level. I think there should be better police. I think there needs to be a complete overhaul of whatever policing they are doing, because it's not working. I Well, you know what? That just spontaneously added another question. What would happen to Denver... If this fucking guy becomes the mayor. Well, I don't know, because it seems like Denver leaves everything up to Bronson anyway. (laughs) So just a continuation of current policy, probably. All right. Then another spontaneous question. Is this what happened to Denver? Because the last time I was there, that was a rough town. Really? Was it rough? Denver's got a, like, down at the the Brewers Fest, the vendors are told, stick to these streets, only go on them, 
between these hours. Weird. Well, I've only been to Denver once, and while I didn't care for it, I didn't find it uh, scary or rough or threatening in the area I was in, at least. But I was just kind okay. of downtownish, I guess. But uh, <clears throat> yeah, that's good to know. <laughs> I, I feel like the toughest towns are the, the, the two towns that I've been to where I was like, I feel eerily in peril right now uh-huh. are Denver, Colorado and Baltimore, Maryland. Huh? Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I could see it. I could see Baltimore being a little freaky sometimes. Baltimore is a rough town. Yeah. Cool town too. There's a lot of cool stuff there, but there's yeah. neighborhoods where you're like, I should not be here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sure. My final question. How much do you think Homer saved on this assassin? <laughs> how much did he save? Like, as opposed to like what he'd have to pay other assassins. Let's or go with the percentage because... here. <laughs> Like, as a bulk deal? Like, I was going to go with so-and-so. I heard he was the best. Way too much money. This guy's 40% Uh, cheaper. Yeah, then I was told to go with him. He was 30% cheaper, but it's still too much. You came in right here, though. Where is right there? Right here. Well, he was was, was only 20% of the other guy's fee. But he had to buy him a new hat and jacket. <laughs> his hat and his jacket were part of the deal. <laughs> so the hat came with assassin. this. The hat came with this Bowie knife. Oh, that's yeah. cool! I'll, I'll use that to kill my driver. Was <laughs> a set. Final recommendations. I'll go first because this is your pick. Okay. I'm glad I watched it because I am watching all of uh, Bronson stuff, but in good conscience, I cannot recommend this over the other zany Bronsons because it's just too slow. It is too boring. I agree with you. I think it's, you know, I can't make it an official recommend unless you're a Bronson or Canon completist. In which case, yeah, that's, of course, you're going to watch it. I, I'm watching it just for those reasons. And mm-hmm. they're, on paper, this should be the one in not loving bullets because it's got children mass murder. It really goes yeah. into a weird left field direction with the anti-cultist shit, shit. It's got Bronson as a reporter who has to beat people up. It should be the one and it's not it just isn't no like half the time it just feels like you're watching like simon and simon or something like it has that feeling eat shit simon and simon is exciting well sure i don't mean that i just mean that it looks like it might as well be like a (laughs) mid-80s tv show you know what i mean like no don't talk shit about simon and simon that's like my favorite fucking show (laughs) i like simon and simon but it's not something i would like go See in a theater. I think I, I watched... spent half my life trying to become Rick Simon. 
we watched quite a bit of Simon and Simon and syndication. And now that I'm up. 40, I'm just trying to become major dad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <clears throat> but yeah, it's not particularly cinematically exciting is my point. <laughs> Yeah, Justin has the worst time with uh, Bronson movies. And oh, yeah. I He's going to be real excited is, that I picked this. Yeah, this <laughs> is possibly, I mean, we'll see what he thinks, but this is like the archetype of Bronson that he just can't handle this. Like, why am I watching this? Why did people like this? And we, I read the reviews. People liked this movie. And I'm like, What? Weird. Huh. Yeah, that is pretty shocking. I wouldn't expect it to get great reviews. I mean, maybe they're just so, like, pummeled with, you know, the other garbage movies that he made for canon that they were like, well, this one seems like it would be on TBS on Sunday afternoon. It doesn't seem, like, too offensive or, or over the top. So they're just like, oh, it's good. Maybe that's... Maybe that's why. There are points when I'm watching this that I was like, if this wasn't a Bronson movie, this would be a good whodunit. This is actually kind of competently made. I read that Jay Lee Thompson had uh, fallen ill towards the tail end of production and the second unit director had taken things over. But I don't know if that's maybe he just set it up to like play it straight. But it's it's played very straight as a mystery film. It's just. Canon shouldn't be doing mystery films, and this is fucking why. Right. Yeah, it's more like, forget Simon and Simon. It's more like a kind of a, a Peter Falkless Columbo episode. That's the feeling sure. it gave me. Uh, George C. Scott's wife and one of the other actors played lovers in an episode of Columbo, oddly enough. Oh. They're both in this film, reunited many years later. Oh. I would say Jake and the Fat Man. Mm. That show is borderline unviewable. Okay, yeah, I didn't watch that one because it's unviewable. I always turn yeah. the channel when Jake and the Fat Man came on. Well, that about wraps it up. Uh, for Justin and Jackie, I'm Sam, that's Tucker, and get to the food cart. <laughs>